Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, Mike, I can't see clearly. Is that a lightning bolt on your shirt? You're damn right it is, Otil. This is Section 119. Hey guys, we just got our hands on some great new gear from an officially licensed partner of the Grateful Dead, Section 119. Oh yeah, Section 119. They sent me a pair of board shorts. They're actually really cool. I actually uh, wore them on stage and uh, they were really comfortable. You know, I live in board shorts in Florida, so that's kind of my jam. And uh, these have a cool print on them. Bertha's on there and the roses and stuff. I really like them. I got one of the performance polos with the Grateful Dead bolt embroidered in the chest. It's super stretchy, and I love the way it feels when I'm on stage wearing it. I feel like I'm representing the dead and rocking out some jokes in style. Section 119 was started by a couple of fans who wanted more than a lot tea to show their appreciation for the Grateful Dead. They started an apparel line that has everything you can imagine to represent the band at every occasion. And not just the dead, they've got some amazing fish duds as well. From button downs with dancing bears all over it, to board shorts with super vibrant prints and donuts all over your shirts and socks, they've got something for every fan for any occasion. If you're looking for more than a t-shirt to celebrate the Grateful Dead, the folks at Section 119 make the highest quality apparel. Boogie on over to section119.com and use code COMESATIME. That's all one word, comes a time, for 15% off your next purchase. Hey, this is Oteal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. All right. Welcome back to another <laughs> episode of comes a time. That's Oteal. And that's Mike. We had our first... Uh... <laughs> Stand up mythologist on the podcast. Wow, what a whopper. I believe it was, uh, I think his Instagram handle is Say Cheesy or something, I believe. A a while back, a listener of the podcast said, you should check out Michael Mead's podcast, Living Myth. It's really incredible. He uses like origin stories and traditional stories and write a passage stories and it, you know, depicts what we're going through today. And it, I've been recommended a lot of stuff and I didn't pay attention to it. And then one time I listened to it and I was like, Holy cow, this is a game changer. And I said, Oteal, check this out. And we listened to it and we talked about it. And it fits right into where our, you know, the frequency and the, and, and all the, the talk about it. And 
and he is an absolute he's a he's a conduit like we talked about we had the host of the living myth podcast and author and stand-up mythologist michael mead and uh I don't even know. I was I was looking forward to this like a kid looking forward to Christmas Day. I was so excited for this episode, and it didn't disappoint. And I, it, they're all my favorite, but I'm sorry. This is, this yeah, is special. He, he he did not let us down. He just his experiences. I I don't even want to reference any of it. You really just should listen to this one. No, um, his experiences are can. really. Something and the way he processed it is truly amazing, and uh, what a gift he is, especially for this time. Yeah, he's here for this time, not by accident. No. Like he said, we're the whole planet is going through a rite of passage right now. We could see it with COVID. You know, we could see it politics, economically. We can see it politically, environmentally. Like we're. We are all going through a rite of passage right now. And this society and this culture has lost some things. And vacuums are trying to be filled, are being filled with other things. But, you know, the things that we're missing, we, we definitely need. And uh, we need to get them back pronto. And, yeah. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, the minute you listen to an episode of his podcast, you realize that you're listening to an expert and it's almost like when you're listening to James Brown or Miles Davis or so, something that's being like channeled from, he's sharing stuff from like way, way back. I mean, and, and the things that he's somehow juxtaposing stories from Celtic lore, Native American lore, all in the same lesson. And then tying it into how social media is <laughs> ruining every, you know, it's just amazing the yeah. way that he can literally, he's an alchemist when it comes to like concocting all of taking the different stories from different cultures and showing like this has happened yeah. before. We're not alone. Yeah. He's a synthesis. He could amazing. see, God. he could see the connections to everything. Yeah. Really, through- really beautiful. And, and it's through vulnerability, I think, that he does it because he's not an ego. This is not an ego person, right? Yeah. I mean, watching him talk, it's like he's not talking from the first person. He's talking about he's sharing stories. He's amazing. And, and I'm very happy that we were able to have him on. And uh, yeah. I hope it means as much to you guys as it did. We're building this up. <laughs> yeah, no, I will. For our fans, yeah. this is this is bullseye for what the point of our podcast is. And, and and I hope that you all, the minute you stop listening to Comes the Time, go click on Living Myth. It's only a yeah. half hour long each episode, but it'll take you about a week and a half to listen to a whole episode because each one, each sentence has gold in it. And uh, he's super cool. And uh Thank you, Michael. And thanks everyone for listening and uh, check out comes the for all of our uh, stuff that we have going on. Some merch that we're going to have available for you. Uh, thanks Osiris for having us on the network. Osirispod.com. Check us out on Patreon. What a bonus episode each week and a bunch of amazing stuff curated by the wizard. Um, it's, this isn't just, yeah, I'm kind of, done talking now i think that was it this one <laughs> enjoy was-
Michael, we're absolutely honored to to have you uh, here. We've kind of uh, had to make an effort to not let our podcast become a Michael Mead fan club podcast <laughs> over the past few weeks. I'm glad you're working on that. <laughs> Since we found you, uh, it's been kind of amazing how parallel you and your episodes run with our conversations. Uh, but first, we haven't even known each other a minute and a half, and we find out that you've delivered children as well. I've assisted at a number of births. And it's kind of like the two events that happen to every human being are birth and death. In between, you know, there's variations. And so I wanted to experience or be connected to both of those things. And so I wound up assisting at five births. I was at one, but they did not let me do anything. <laughs> but it was a transformational experience, to be sure. Exactly. And, and a lot to be learned from it. And ancient people imagined that the midwife, the name midwife meant the one who marries the soul midway between the other world and this world. That's why it's a wow. midwife. And the wow. midwives had second sight. Uh, which meant that they could see the gifts that the individual child brought into life at their birth. And so, mm -hmm. so, so the birth was metaphysical and mythological, as well as now more medical and biological. That's amazing. Yeah, so I want to know all about that. Yeah, well, that's the beautiful thing I think about. And that's even the episode that you had just released this past week was about, you know, the watching, you know, we're all kind of coming to the autumn of our calendar year, but also as a culture and as a consciousness, it seems like we're kind of coming to a period of, uh, and, and you mention it very often in your, in your episodes about how it seems like we're coming to an end, which means a rebirth eventually. In, in mythological terms, uh, the end is connected to the beginning. The beginning always leads to an end. But the thing that is not known in the modern world is that the end is connected to the beginning. And so the word end turns out not to mean finale, finito, good night, overnight. It means loose end or remnant. So at the end of whatever it is, there's a loose end, there's a remnant, which is the beginning of the next cycle. And so, yeah, I think we're living through the end of an era. And at the end of an era, you have more endings, more things are concluded, more institutions stop working. There's a kind of a collapse and a draining of energy, um, which is really difficult to deal with and makes uh, human community very hard because the institutions that would normally protect and organize people stop working. And so people are, are more in the realm of chaos. And uh, I think that's what we're going through. But myth mythology is helpful because it says that ending will lead to a renewal of both nature and culture. So I find that valuable. I do too, especially in a society where I think we are so advanced technologically, technologically but what's failing us is the metaphysical part. Yeah. And it's poo-pooed so much. It's like, oh... That's just nonsense. And it's like, well, 
science without conscience is also past nonsense. It's very deadly. I mean, yeah, we can look at that on any number of levels and, uh, it's hard. That's why we want to have these conversations to try to like, okay, I know religion and God and all these things are loaded terms. How about we just look at the stories, you know, and, um, but still it, it's hard for people that are so oriented just between or just uh, in the material world to see the value of something metaphysical, you know? Yeah, well, we've lost a whole bunch along the way. And if we go back, for instance, to the ancient Greeks, and one reason to go there is so much of Western culture derives from Greek roots. And so they had two words for uh, accounting for what happens in the world. And, And one was logos, from which we get logic rationality and that's one way to account for everything in the world you know this is what happened first and then this happened you can measure it you know well it used to be you could get facts but now like i said things are falling apart and the facts have slid right out of uh, the grasp of uh, the collective life but the other way to account for it was mythos which means story and if logos is logic irrationality order and measurement Mythos is feeling and imagination and the deeper connections, uh, not the facts of life, uh, but what really matters. Because, and then in, in the end, what really matters matters even more than at any other time. And so in the middle of all the darkening and all the unraveling, it's really what those things that matter the most that become the, the real issue or the things to pay attention to or the things to hold on to you know we talk quite a bit about people that are you know we we mentioned how we're kind of tuned to the same frequency there are folks who are kind of tuned into the you know what we are talking about right now and it seems for those of us who maybe aren't interested or are involved in that frequency it's more lonely now than ever sometimes it seems when the majority tends to flock to you know whatever flavor of truth they believe or you know when when really it's this vulnerability or sense of compassion and empathy for the world as a whole seems to be more alienating now than ever so a couple things come to my mind first of all when you go back into mythology and i've studied myths from all different cultures that's been my my interest yeah and you find things not of this that are the same but that are similar And one of those things is the idea that each person born is a unique soul. Someone that will never be born again. Hopefully many more people will be born, but you will not and you will not and I will not. The uniqueness of the soul is part of what gives a person a purchase, a place to stand. Um, And so now when all most things have turned into oppositional polarizing conflicts and people are just standing on the opposite side. It, the issue doesn't even matter. Whatever the issue is, people stand on the opposite side. Yeah. It's, it's as if there is no place to stand uh, that makes sense except standing on the ground of one's own being. 
Right. And so the idea of the uniqueness of the individual is ever more important because we need a place to stand. And then the uniqueness seems like it might separate too much, but it's actually the thing that connects. I mean, when we love someone, we love them for their uniqueness. We love them for who we know them to be. And so in a strange way, I agree with you. It's more isolating, yeah. but it's really isolating if I don't know that inside I'm a unique being with an aim in my life and with gifts that I brought to life from the beginning, then it's really isolating, not knowing that. I felt that isolation a lot, uh, you know, and it's funny because it's these stories that really reconnected me to the the untruths of that isolation, you know? I guess um, one of the things that I always am seeking to do and is, is trying to reintegrate mythos and logos. Like you said that um, logos back then equaled logic, I guess, basically. Yeah. And mythos equaled what matters the most. But in you know, the, since the enlightenment or whatever, um, mythos doesn't matter to those kind like they, <laughs> it's ironic that mythos is about what matters the most. And then it's like, just like taken off the table. So yes. I'm trying to think, how do we, uh, I got into a situation recently with, uh, one of these guys that thinks, you know, unless it's, I can objectively measure it and prove it, it doesn't exist or it's not important, or I can't believe in it, right? And I was like, well, if there's objective truths, can't there also be subjective truths? And like, love can't be proved, or, you know, why, or any actual, any of the things that stem off of this idea of love, like fairness, unfairness, um, all of our laws, basically, like, why is it wrong for me to murder your kid? Like, can you prove objectively that it's wrong? And then they always do some kind of dance, philosophy course dance. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> because even those type of people love someone, right? And they have a sense of fairness. I'm like, but where do you derive? How do you prove that? And my belief is that if there's objective truth, then logically there should be subjective truth. And we know these things because we know we love someone. Or we know this is not fair. If I do kill someone, my conscience will mess with me. Like, I know it. So I, I'm, I'm, but I still have such a hard time, like, holding, I guess, like, trying to see if these people believe their own premise, you know? Yeah. Well, in some ways, it's a false premise. And I think that's what I think. Yeah. The Greeks were saying you can only, if you only use logic and, you know, objectivity, they call it now, um, then you're only getting half the world. So, I mean, it's very hard to get people to realize, well, everything you're saying is true if we cut out the other half of the world. Um, it, you know, and, and of course, it's patently false because the very people that are arguing for logic and objectivity, should you hit the button where their anger is will erupt in emotions that are totally irrational and they will blame everybody in sight, the exact same people. Except so, themselves. So, 
So we lost something. We lost, yeah. we lost the understanding of what a human being actually is. I mean, yeah. you mentioned the Enlightenment. The, the big, big problem happened with the Enlightenment. First of all, it's kind of humorous, right? Because the idea behind the Enlightenment was you could shine a light uh, strong enough, you, you could get knowledge about everything, and that we know about everything, including diseases and all. So they started shining lights, microscopes and telescopes, in fact. And so they eventually got those really powerful telescopes that go out into the Milky Way and beyond, you know. And what did they find out there with the big light that was going to reveal everything? Dark matter, dark <laughs> energy, and damn black holes. <laughs> the Enlightenment found darkness. It's perfect. And the enlightenment is over and we're living in the endarkenment. And in, <laughs> we really are. And in the endarkenment, you have to have, you have to move by feeling and intuition and imagination. Well, that, what's, <laughs> what's so interesting anyway. about the endarkenment too, is that it's, uh, we have all these machines that are connecting us in the, access to all the information in the world and what is all that information doing dividing everyone it's not bringing anyone together well some of us some of <laughs> well us, the, you know what i mean the, the vast majority, majority. Yeah. it's like but it does it's, it's the kind of thing that trolls for the lowest common denominator so you know yeah you're gonna have the majority but there's always that end the loose end the remnant you know, which ironically you find is a lot, especially biblical stories from beginning to end are about a remnant of people saved that, that hang on and then the rest don't believe or whatever, you know, it's yeah. funny. It's yeah. really ironic. God, this time is truly amazing. I'm glad you came along in it, even just for me selfishly, hmm. because I've always thought, you know, this is not illogical. One person that I had like a 15-year debate about this with, um, he, uh, I said, you know, if your left brain, you know, is the more objective one, then the objective side would just ask out of logic, what's the right brain for? And that's, and the left side would also realize it's 50% of the ball game. Like yeah. you can't just throw it out. Yeah. You know? Well but you know what happens with that? That's that object subject, right? So the, the enlightenment was based on the idea of the separate subject and object. I mean, and as soon as you get that real separation of subject and object, you've now lost all the connecting material, love, passion, intuition, feeling, those are all left out because of the pretension of the separation. And so then when they work on the two sides of the brain, they get another separation. Those two things are not united. But as they have kept working on it, the latest brain stuff is revealing yeah. that both sides have similar things. They just organize them differently. And yeah. that they're not objectively, objectively separate. They're yes. actually a strange intercombination that's different in each person. So eventually, they'll have to start admitting that there is no objectivity in a simplistic sense. The subject What's, is always there. Yeah. And, and I think what it, what, um, one of the points that you hit upon in a recent, um, episode was, uh, you know, standing on 
on the shore looking out at it, it began with a story with you having a dream with you and your father in the water and how sometimes in order to get to the work that we need to do we need to dive as deep as we can into the fears that we have and i think fear is what we're talking about here and what seems to be if you break it down to the most simplest is it's love and fear is where most of this comes from if you're operating from a place of love you can be open to the the the, the beauty of the unknown and if you're operating from a place of fear it's i need to know that this is the truth because i'm scared to admit that i might not be right and I, I thought the lessons that you shared in that episode really speaks volumes to the times that we're in right now, because the loudest and the majority and the folks that are, you know, marching and protesting against science and against, you know, progress and change are maybe just scared to do the work that they need to do on their own. Yeah, I, I agree that if you take the big picture, the idea from mythology, that at the end of an era, things begin to um, disintegrate and dissolve. And I think we're seeing that with, look at the political institutions. I mean, they can't operate. And when they do, it gets twisted and distorted. They're dysfunctional. But, but similar things are happening with science and public health. And so we're, yeah. we're in that, that period. So what happens then is people, um, walk around with assumptions and people want to assume that somewhere it's being organized and somewhere it's being um, guided and somewhere you can define it in simple terms and that you can't do that anymore. And people are having ex existential fear, which makes them grab on like people in a, an ocean where the waves are getting bigger and chaotic and you grab onto something just to float. And people are grabbing onto things and they tend to grab onto things where someone says, I alone can fix it, or this is the answer, or this is the truth. And so people grab onto rafts of that kind in order not to sink. And yet the history of humanity says that in descent, you find what's at the bottom. You find, so um, modern people think they're empty inside. You know, the two great stories about the human soul is each soul is born with gifts and with purposes and aims, or else it's born as an empty soul. And the modern world believes the story of the empty soul. And people are just the accumulation of their experiences. And since most people's experiences don't provide wisdom or much else, people feel there's nothing they can depend on inside. All the ancient stories say that everyone born has meaning, purpose, capacities, and gifts that are intended to become known and be given. And I stick with those stories. So if you, if we think inside there's something meaningful, that the troubles of my life are not there for um, accidentally, they're there to awaken me to, to who I really am, then you don't mind sinking because going down means finding who I really am which was there from the beginning and waiting, you know. So that's the big missing ingredient. And I think when people really don't know who they are, first of all, they change identities really fast. Like a few months ago, they were pretty rational. And now, you know, they've joined QAnon and whatever else you got. People shifting like that, it means they don't know who they are. You're pinballing. Say yeah. again? Yeah. Like a pinball, they're, you know. There's no 
anchoring identity. They were getting yeah. their identity from the outside world. And when the outside world changed, their identity changes very quickly. The, the yeah. thing that a real person knows to some degree who they are, knows where they come from, knows what's in inside in the depth of themselves. And the way that used to be handled in traditional cultures was rites of passage. That a girl yeah. and a boy, when they're leaving childhood and stepping into the rest of their life, would be taken into some kind of situation where they could have a self-revelation and, and, and realize, oh, I am, I'm not that other person. I'm not the same. I'm myself. Mm-hmm. And, and the majority of modern people do not have that. They, they think they're empty inside. Or the only story they have inside is how much pain they've suffered. You know, because yeah. they had trauma and the inner story is the trauma story. But the deeper story is always the nature of the soul that that person is carrying. And the struggles of life are not supposed to defeat us simply. Yes, we're supposed to get knocked down. But the going down is to find out what's down there and then come up as one's genuine self. And that would include more heart, more. And if I understand what it's like to be knocked down, if I understand what it's like to be rejected, if I have my own experience of trauma, then I'm going to be sympathetic and empathic to other people who are suffering. Whenever you see people who are not empathic, you see people who are avoiding their own pain. Yeah. Right? Because once you just say, life is hard, I've been through some hard things, therefore I don't care where you come from or what your background is, we could connect on the level of we have suffered. And we have struggled just to maintain our lives and we can connect there. So maybe the big, big troubles are to regenerate that deep sense of connection. Maybe the polarization um, is actually the, the ulterior or the eventual aim of the polarization is a greater unity based on a deeper connection. That's how I, I tend to look at it. It's funny because it brings up an irony to me that a lot of what I see people revert to when, you know, the S hits the fan <laughs> is tribalism. But like you pointed out, it's really, when you think of the rites of passage of like actual tribes, because we've lost that, those rites of passage didn't really reveal your, uh, connection to the tribe you have that already like you said revealed oh i'm a unique person i'm a this individual entity you know which then can relate to everyone and it's just so ironic the time we live in i guess like you say maybe it's following the story perfectly and that at the end of things all these things just have to crumble and then out of the (laughs) the ashes that is going to be, I guess, left maybe all those who didn't kill each other out of fear, or I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I don't know either. I don't well, know how to. How, yeah, I, yeah, it it kind of <laughs> seems too, Mike. Like, Michael, like you said, like those rafts right now seem to be the obviously the political parties and the beliefs on the things yeah. that you know, like that tribalism. But it seems the the rites of passage, and I would imagine, and and you know, I would love your thoughts on this, Michael, is that, you know, if you're in a tribe or or if you're in a village or a community and you're about to do a rite of passage or you're about to go from one point of life to another, 
you have two things that I think are lacking right now in our society is trust in your in your community and the value of surrender. Like when you go into a moment of diving deep and get, you know, when you ask for the work, when you go, I'm ready for the hard work, the work comes and you, and then it's, you know, when the universe goes, okay, you want it, let's see how much you can handle. So I think that when you're going through those moments in a, in a, you know, community where elders can say, Hey, I did this when I was your age, or I'm here when it's over and we can go through what you've gone through that trust and surrender seem to be extremely vital pieces of like, you know, changing into another form of our, our life. But who even has time for it anymore in modern society, right? Yeah. Now, I want to follow up on that. And, and I agree with that, that that's, those, those are two of the key things missing. Um, so first of all, I, I tend to think that we're in a uh, kind of collective rite of passage, that yeah. because climate crisis is affecting every place on earth, because COVID pandemic is affecting every person on earth, uh, because of the struggle for truth and meaning and, and the struggle against, you know, injustice is everywhere now. Um, we're in a collective experience of a rite of passage. And going back to these two ideas of the, the trust and the surrender, of course, you know, you, you can't surrender if you don't trust that someone not only knows more than us, but actually cares about us. Right. Yeah. So when they're saying tribalism, they're, it's, it's a simplification. Yeah. A tribe would be a complex thing. And rites of passage wouldn't happen in the village. Yeah. It would happen in nature. So nature becomes the background, not culture. Mm. And one of the functions of, of the rite of passage was to take each child uh, from the lap of the mother, which would include culture as the mother in some sense, uh, but all, from the lap of the mother to the lap of the of mother nature to being un beginning to be connected to the mystery of nature which includes by the way life and death all the time and so so then the ones who would be the initiators who would be the people that we wanted to have trust in would not be members of the political parties back in the village necessarily they would be members of the deep uh, organization called humanity mm -hmm. And so they would be there with an understanding of humanity, not an un, not a specialization in how to divide humanity. And so the fact that it was out in nature meant it was in a different realm. And so then you surrender, yes, to someone who actually has been through it. And there's some hint that they know more and that they've learned not just about themselves, but about the world, including nature. Uh, so that would be a different thing. And then it's interesting, I've studied all these traditional groups, tribal groups and rites of passage and all. And when they're really functioning well, what it looks like to me that happens is two things. The young person gets a revelation of who they already are, who they have been all yeah. along and who they're trying to become. And they also get, also get an introduction to how they're wounded. Mm. So in rites of passage, you get a wound. But the, the physical wound is to remind you that you're emotionally and psychically wounded. Everybody is, right? Uh. When they do the survey, the modern survey, they survey every, everything, you know, how many families 
uh, are dysfunctional. Turns out to be 104%. You know, <laughs> like 4% of pathological liars. They keep. Anyway, but, but, but so for the individual child, the family is always partially dysfunctional. Yeah. If the family was completely functional, we'd stay home and we'd all be children the rest of our lives. But it doesn't quite work for us. And so we have to go out in the world. And so then one of those steps out into the world used to be a step away from the daily culture, away from the usual mm. political stuff, away from yeah. the economic and, and racial yeah. and ethnic injustice and gender injustice and a step into nature. Yeah. where everything is unique and everything matters, and then a step into this greater understanding of humanity, which would be not logos. It would be yeah. deep mythos. We're yeah. all in the story together. It's just people in the village forgot about that. And they want to fight about who's not in the story or who's to blame, but out in the land of waking up, no, you know, where everybody's just as valuable, the bluebird, as well as the cedar tree. And we're yeah. in that story. Yeah. That's the story we fell out of. That story we could fall back into, I think. We have well, to. we're still in, in a way, like you say, like we're in a collective <laughs> if we choose to be. passage. Yeah. So yeah. I think you just helped me with the whole thing because, you know, whether some people choose to reject the stories or not, we're in the story. <laughs> and the story's going right on schedule <laughs> just like all, all right. the other stories say so you, you can yeah. either uh admit it yeah. or see it or not like yeah wow man wow. light comes out of darkness without darkness no light yep. so according to the story everything right now is perfect well because exactly. i mean it's not it's not good but i mean as far as in yeah. the cycle it's necessary it's necessary and it yeah. is understandable. Yeah. And yet it's not okay. Right. I no, mean, yeah. Because to have the mythological connection is to say, wait a minute, I'm getting really pissed off at people who are practicing injustice for their own personal ends. Yeah. You know, that's exactly. not okay. That's not okay. It's not. You know, but but in a sense it is understandable. And what mythology used to do and the stories of the culture used to do is is create a background or even a ground to walk on a territory where it all could be understood injustice and, yeah. and and hate and all could be understood uh so that people could figure out how to not get caught in that hmm. so well, how yeah. else can it be understood that's my argument with yeah. these people that are basically scientific materialists i'm like i don't know any other way i mean that's why the stories were written these things happen and then they write a story so they could tell the children and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren what happened and how to avoid it. Or, you know. I, well, well, in myth, what's sure. interesting, <laughs> in myth and in psychology, is that, um, in a sense, the stories are there before we are. Hmm. So, so the, the universal stories, the archetypal, they call it, in, um, in psychology, the archetypal elements are there before we get onto the scene. Yeah. So, so, um, so there are things that we can draw upon that are part of the human inheritance and not historical inheritance, mm -hmm. but psychological inheritance, mythological inheritance. And what helps me 
is this sense that, so if we say the big story is things are falling apart, end of an era, draining of energy from the existing institutions, something like that, there's a bunch of stories about that. But then what happens at the same time, because there has to be some justice somewhere, is that archetypal things wake up in people. And that it's not me as a person. I have to figure out who I am. That's the only way I could ever live my life. But I'm not dependent on myself in a heroic sense because waking up involves getting connected to uh, fields of energy and levels of imagination that are not strictly personal. In other words, there's inner resources that everybody forgot about when they fell into the notion of objectivity and Object, subject, object, division, that began the polarization in a mm. sense. Uh, they also lost the idea that underneath all tensions and divisions is the creative imagination that makes life possible. And when you tap into that, suddenly you're not helpless. We may each be a frail being in a big dark universe, but you can tap into things that you might have to use in a unique way. And I'm thinking, I'm talking about creativity. I'm talking about invention. I mean, right now, all the inventions are are kind of uh, horizontal in the sense of connecting people more um, in, in technology. But there's other kinds of inventions that could be happening, inventions that unite people, inventions yeah. that, that support people's personal lives <laughs> and so on and for, so forth. Anyway, I'm just saying we're not alone and there are things that we can tap into that are, are the inheritance of the human soul. And and one of the one of the most amazing things too is that like when you do achieve a moment of mysticism or a moment of transcendence, uh, the first thing that you lose is that sense of me, that sense of self. It's that connection to everything and nothing all at the same time. And the last thing you feel, if anyone has had a successful meditation or you know transcendent event, it's that. You don't know time, earth time. You're more on the eternal time and the space that you're in and the person you are and the being dissolves. And that's bliss, right? And that's nirvana. And that's what everyone's been seeking since the beginning of you know, time. But that's to have those moments when you can acknowledge your wound, not from a embarrassed perspective, but more from like a self, uh, like a self what's the word I'm looking for? Almost kind of empathetic, uh, empathetic to yourself, yeah. which is yeah. hard. I think it's sometimes way easier to be empathetic to others than to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. And now with everything going on now, the pressure on everybody, there's way more pressure on people than there was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, because the big thing that held tensions, the structures and in, in the institutions don't function. So there's collective anxiety. Anxiety is a natural thing. If you have a test or a, a big meeting the next day and you're anxious, that's natural. But to be anxious all the time and not know why, that's collective anxiety. So people are under great pressure. And that's one reason some people that used to just be kind of on the edge, like a little weird, the pressure pushes them over the edge now. Yeah. And people that used to stumble at the edge now go full blown into think losing themselves in passions and confusions and now conspiracy theories, more people push to the edge. And so the, there's a necessity to get to this part of the, of the person that has these other experiences. I call them moments of wholeness. 
rise mm-hmm. of wholeness. I mean, and, and, and you can get there on the paths of contemplation and meditation, which really are an import from Eastern mythology, um, which is interesting how that Eastern stuff now is important in the West, right? Mm-hmm. In, in the Western world now, every strip mall has a, uh, what does it have, a, a McDonald's and a, a coffee a town fair tire and a yoga center. <laughs> and a yoga center, you know. So something but, has come in. That's what I was talking about, inventive things that can help us yeah. that we didn't even dial up. It just kind of came in. And now there's access to yoga and, and, and different methods of um, meditation, which in the West used to be called contemplation. But the other big yeah. road, the other big road that is the road that we can go on everyone can go on in their own way that gives us moments of wholeness and a sense of being genuine and, 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 and real are the expressive arts. Those are the two big roads of practice yeah. and learning. And so art is now imagined as industry, right? I mean, you have the music industry, you have, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a, it's another collapse of imagination and, and yeah. everything collapsed into economics. And so creative arts became industries. It's really mind is mind boggling. But anyway, it's logos without mythos. Exactly. I mean, it's funny. That's why the yoga came in. It's just a vacuum. Like yes. it's why our systems are collapsing. You can't yeah. have we have the logos without the mythos. Well, then if there's no ethics, if there's no empathy, if there's no not of, of course it's unsustainable. You have to have both for it to be sustainable. Yeah, and uh, I hope the vacuum gets filled more. I guess it is because you came along. I mean, and I was like, "Oh my God, somebody that's not crazy." So, I mean, you know, like, we have had we have had conversations. Oh, literally. By the way, that whole thing is debatable. But go ahead. No, <laughs> we've had to us. You're like water in the desert. Though. I mean, I, it's it's out of control. How dead on parallel. Your we would that's be having cool. a conversation. I mean, literally about like writing and how um, being able to kind of not have a fear of hurting maybe the subjects of what is about to be written or going at it with some preconceived guilt or what if they read, what if who reads this, all this, you know, you create this, you know, these roadblocks and we talked about it for, I mean, what hours, right? Oteil. And then the next morning you drop an episode that is legitimately the exact same. <laughs> the, 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 we were uh, done. I mean, it was, it was one recently that was uh, uh, a, a traveler goes to a, a palace, but is staying outside of the palace and wasn't quite sure what his, the mission was. And it, it, it was just like the way it paralleled our conversation was, I mean, it's as if you were listening and I really, <laughs> It's it's but it's been like that consistently, and your thank God your episodes of your podcast are a half hour because there's no fat on them, and I need to stop every ten minutes and kind of lie down because <laughs> every single line is filled with gold. I mean, you you literally, I, I'm so interested to know how you how stories grabbed you. I mean, clearly this is a lifelong. This is why you were put here on this uh, for this round on Earth was to share with all of us the stories from you're a conduit, you're a door that's opening to the biggest library in time. Thank you. That's what I realized over time. That's the right way to talk about it. Um, It is being a conduit, which is all of the arts are conduits Mm. to creation. 
uh, an artist, whether it's a musical artist or a painter or a sculptor, whatever it is, a writer, is making something in the world that wasn't there before. Right. Mm. Creation is literally being repeated through the birth of each person. That's creation. And through Mm -hmm. what each person gives birth to. And and so, um, so yeah, I mean, I agree with with that in the sense that uh, I kept finding by descent, by going down what I was here for. Um, And sometimes I tell the story, I wound up in a prison in Panama and I was a bad prisoner. And I wound up in solitary confinement wow. uh, for months on end. And wow. you, yeah. Oh my and God. talk about descent. I was all by myself <laughs> in a little cell in a foreign place with nothing but mistreatment going on. And, mm. and, and so uh, the idea of being so alone and so isolated and having no way out, that's how it appeared. Yeah. Um, then, so if I, I if I, uh, concede to the modern idea, then I'm, I'm screwed forever because there's nothing else. Yeah. Well, so what happened to me was over time, I started to notice I was having visitors. I wasn't allowed any visitors. There was actually no one other than guards coming in, but I was having visitors and they were visitors from the ancient stories that I had read. They were vi- visitors, you know, like Achilles and characters from Greek myths and so on. And so I had to decide, am I losing my mind or am uh-huh. I finding my mind? Wow. And all of a sudden I had, I had comrades, I had supporters who knew a lot more than I did. And so I had guidance from call it what you will, imaginal figures or something, but it actually. Had you studied these stories before that your prison experience? Yeah. When I was 13. So I'm growing up in New York city, um, Mm. poor Irish family, so on and so forth. And, and anyway, so I had, I had learned when it was my birthday, don't ask for anything because you're not going to get it. And not only that, mom and dad are more depressed for the next two weeks if you ask for it. So I don't, you know, so everybody said, what do you want for your birthday? No, I don't want it. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. (laughs) Just a way way out. A way out. A new family. But my, my aunt said, what are you interested in? And I said, oh, history. And she said, why? And I said, I'm trying to figure out what the hell went wrong here. The whole neighborhood is screwed. Everybody's lost their dreams. It's, it's really what yeah. happened, you know? So yeah. she goes off to the bookstore to get me a history book. And anyway, the, the way wow. I understand it, from the little she said about it, she went in, she'd never been in a bookstore before. And, and they wow. pointed and they said, you know, books on history are over there, up there on those shelves. And so she went over and grabbed the book. She was very short. She grabbed the book. Um, and had them wrap it up and gave it to me. So I get the book and, um, and I start to take the paper off and she looks at it. She says, it's the wrong book. I got the wrong, give it back to me. I got the wrong book. And what I'm seeing is a guy on a horse who's just shot an arrow that's arching through the sky. And I'm going, I want this book. Yeah, going, we're good. It's the wrong book. And I'm going, I want it. <laughs> and so tear the rest of the paper off and it says mythology. Beautiful. And so that night I read that almost that entire book, which was Greek myths, but the last section was myths from around the world. And so 13 years old, I had found a language that was my language. And it didn't matter that I was poor. It didn't matter that I was the smallest kid in the class. I didn't have to measure up. I got it. The stories Mm -hmm. gave me a territory to inhabit. They gave me a place for my imagination to grow. 
and then, you know, you go through things and there was no one around to confirm it, like, you know, to say, hey, this is your path. Matter of fact, when I brought it up to people, I said, what the hell are you talking about? You know, we don't, we don't have that yeah. stuff around here. We're just in the neighborhood. Don't bring that up, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then I'm back in the cell all by myself. And, and that's what came back. Wow. That connection came back. And I realized I am not empty and I'm not alone. And so from there, it took me quite a while, but I had to figure out how do I live with this? How do, how do I turn this into a meaningful life? So that's it comes from, comes from going down. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, Answer my question that I want because I, I had a have you had a personal mystical experiences? That was my gonna be my next question. And then you just bullseye it. It's funny, it's always like at the bottom we find those things. Go yeah. ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Well, no, no, no. And, and and just to ride on what you were saying earlier, so then you realize over time, oh, I'm a conduit for things that are bigger mm-hmm. than I am. And I, I, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying it's, yeah. important, it's important to know that because if someone is making music, music comes from the word muse. The muses were the ancient mm-hmm. uh, sources of creative energy. Uh, so you get a museum. You yeah. also get amusing. All comedians are yeah. being given jokes by the muses. And so, and so one yeah. thing is to realize, yeah, this is me. I can do this. The other thing to, is eventually to realize oh, this is me, but I have to get bigger to be a conduit from what's trying to enter the world and all the way back to uh, Logos and Mythos. Mm -hmm. Uh, Logos wants to examine what's there objectively. Mythos wants to open the channels so the unseen things that are part of creation and part of meaning and part of being can enter and they have to enter through human beings. And so as a person yeah. figures out who they are, which can be a comedian, it can be an artist, it can be, it can be, um, what would you call that? Someone that works with money. That's fine. Yeah. Working with yeah. money don't mean, doesn't mean you have to be greedy. You could be a channel for getting other people money. But eventually mm-hmm. a person has to realize I'm a channel for a certain kind of things. And this is the way that I fill my life. But I also have something to give to the wow. community or to whoever's interested. And I think that's when we wind up feeling, you know, meaningful. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at SmartWool. For more than 25 years, SmartWool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They're here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. What's up, everyone? I'm Mike. And I'm O'Teal. And these are our Sunset Lake CBD gummies that are almost gone. Sunset Lake CBD is a farmer-owned business that ships CBD products directly from their farm to your door. For years, Sunset Lake was a Vermont dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. In 2018, they diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And with a product for everyone, they offer pre-rolls, hemp cigars, and hemp flowers, as well as tinctures, gummies, and CBD... crafted coffee to help with stress, aches, and pains. 
Sunset Lake CBD saves you money by shipping high-quality CBD products directly from their farm to your door. Want to know what I've been using a lot of, Oteal? This salve with the arnica uh, yeah. on, my, on my old bones. You get back from a show and you got tore ankle, rub a little bit of this on there. You're ready to dance the next day. And you know, S- Sunset Lake uh, comes a time listeners can visit sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code TIME for 20% off of their purchase. That's sunsetlakecbd.com, promo code TIME. And tell them we sent you. Wow. You know, it's so interesting hearing you talk about that book because I think about, you know, and you said even at 13, diving deep before you even knew you were diving deep, right? And and I, I think that when I was growing up, that Greek mythology book that you had for me was music. And it was the songs of Bob Dylan and Bob Marley and the Grateful Dead and and, and these stories that when I would get you know, feeling really alone as a kid or feeling like, you know, why this family or whatever it may be, I felt very uh, closed down. But when I would put on music, I always had a set of headphones on even when I didn't have, even when the batteries died, because I knew that like no one would talk to me if I had them on. Right. And I was able to kind of pretend and walk through life, but I would put on these, you know, music and I would listen to music from another era and it kind of just opened everything up and it was that was my passageway to another place and where i learned about a lot of things and a lot of cultures that i yeah. didn't wasn't surrounded by and and all of it and that became my love of stories and words i was horrible at math and science and all of that but etymology the study of word origin and italian and english classes i thrived at and then the minute I got to college, it was Native American literature and folks and playwriting and all of that. And it was just, it, yeah. it, we, as I guess as children, right, maybe sometimes when we have to create our own rite of passage, when it's not created for us, right? The, that book found you and my uncle's Beatles albums and Dylan albums and all that found me. And it, it's amazing uh-huh. how, yeah. It's there, it's there. And people have been taught to not pay attention. People have been taught to look outside yourself. Yeah and believe yeah. in this or that and yet yeah. under pressure because i've done a lot of work uh, through organization we've done a lot of work with at-risk youth severely at-risk youth kids in the hood kids in the barrio and so on and and you get down to even by 15 they've had experiences like that they they have an experience experience that opens something in them that isn't part of their dna and it's not part of the family structure either this is coming in as Van Morrison would say, from the ether. Because he, yes. he, he tapped yeah. into that old Irish tradition, which turns out to be, oh, the old African tradition, oh, yeah. the old Central American tradition, where you yeah. tap into stuff that's coming in, and some of it is coming in for you as well as yes. through, through right. you. Yeah. See, this is what I want to get to, because this is where my arguments always go with the scientific materialist people but there's you know this idea that the mythos is true even though it's a myth right kind of like wrestling is real (laughs) right but also you know in christianity they it's referred to as grace where this thing happens from the outside not that we're disconnected from it 
but something comes in from the ether for you specifically, yeah. right? And trying to explain that <laughs> to people that are that want to reject all the stories. It's like the only place I could show you where that happens is in the stories, and then maybe other people's actual accounts, like you in prison where Achilles came to you and Zeus and whoever, you know. That it's so hard trying to explain that. Like, how do you do that? (laughs) Yeah, you have to get them off that ground. I mean, when we work with young people who are absorbing the culture, young people can't help it. They absorb their culture, which right now is a disaster for young people. They're absorbing polarization and hate and and spitefulness and all that kind of stuff. Blame. Um, Blame. But you get you have to get people in nature, you know. So, so people who are so dedicated to the exaggeration of objectivity uh, and positivistic science. The word science means to know. So science didn't always mean to know objectively. It meant to know. Uh-huh. And so if you go back far enough, everybody has had science all the way back. But people used to understand that whatever has cast the greatest light also makes the greatest shadow. Uh, science used to yeah. understand the light and the dark better than it does now, I think. But, well, it had uh, to because that word conscience, I've always said the word conscience, it has science in it. Yeah. It's where you know something's right or wrong. You yeah. Know? And what you want is some people are called the ether is delivering scientific ideas to them. That's clear. Yeah. You know, some yeah. people big ass scientific ideas that everybody else didn't have. <laughs> but that's, they still have to have a heart and they're supposed to wake up and they're supposed to have empathy uh, that yeah. softens the edge of that, of that science. Yeah. But people have to get out of the context that they're comfortable with in order to get ideas that they're not familiar with. And so nature is the way that used to happen. And so I, I would invite all the uh, scientific uh, positivists, first of all, be out in nature. Not the yeah. laboratory version of nature, but the nature version of nature. But ironically, they some of them love the guy I had the longer, longest argument with uh, this drummer for 15 years. He loved fishing. He loved nature. But he was, in his defense, he was severely hurt by the religion that he grew up with. Oh, yeah. So it, that was that was a wound. I can kind of understand that, you know, because nature yeah. and music and art were like his refuge refuges yeah. you know um before he passed away but yeah it's um it's just i guess some people just have to have that stumbling block and maybe there have to be some people oriented that way just for the yin yang of our existence you know mostly it's a defense it's a defense it feels that way to me yeah. I, I, I mean, i'm defense. like searching for the wound yeah, i'm like yeah. there's a wound exactly. back there somewhere of course there's a wound know? Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know, and and that's the defense against the wound, uh, because the wound is not rational. The wound, the wound doesn't you, you you can't define the wound, the real wound. And so um, yeah, that's too bad. But everybody's always yeah. really close to a breakthrough with mm-hmm. regard to that. Yeah, uh, and that's why I never gave up. Good for you. Yeah, that's I was right. just like you know right yeah. to the end. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and See, you I know when you, you love someone. <laughs> You know it's there because you love them. You can feel that part of them, even if they're denying it. Yeah. You played music with them. Yeah. I was like, you say nothing mystical exists, 
and you have millions of dollars in your bank account to call you a liar. And did you and did you did you say he was a drummer? Yeah. Come on. Really great. I tried, but the wound, the wound was big, man. And I get it. My dad had the same wound. My dad was raised Catholic in New York. um, He was born in 1931. It was a bad experience for him. I get it. Uh, He's 90. He now has changed. He's now finally realized what I think is the truth is that there are subjective truths. There is some, there is a mystical reality or else these stories, these old, old stories couldn't literally still save our lives, our mental health, our physical health. I mean, what's up? That's big. That's big to me. And I was not raised religious. You no, know, but I did religion. get those stories. It's, I got the yeah. fairy tales, children's fairy tales from all over the world. And just my mom and, you know. It's the spiritual, not the religious. Yeah. yeah. Religious comes from the Latin religio, which means tie back to. Which means you got disconnected at some point. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you get reconnected, it's spirituality, not religion. And But here's the thing. Here's what's so strange, right? So drumming is one of maybe the oldest <laughs> form of music. That's it's, like the big one. Every culture has drums. Yeah. And drums are the vehicle for contacting the other world. I mean, <laughs> I had the good luck of being adopted by African drummers. And so, I, was, I mean, too bad, can't happen now. But all you have to do is take an, anyone interested in music and, and get together with some genuine drummers who understand ritual drumming and so on yeah. where you bend the rhythm so much that you can't count it anymore and all of a sudden you're pulled into places that you never imagined the very vehicle that he was using in art would be typically a vehicle of mythos not a vehicle of logos so mm-hmm. i know that I logos was a defense <laughs> yeah absolutely well, absolutely and also, you know, I think in one of our last episodes, we uh, chatted about how, you know, it, it people ruin some stories. People ruin, like humans can ruin an experience or a religion or a faith when they choose Jesus as the lesson for because I said so or because this is the way it is and don't ask questions and this and that. So it's like, you know, a lot of times it's the where you're a good conduit. There are also some outlets that when you go near it, they shock you and it kind of makes you feel a little bit, all right, well, maybe that one's not for me. And it ruins it for some people. And, and so sad. But also conversely, so I think that, you know, there are a lot of circumstances. And Michael, I'd love you. I, I wanted to ask you this. Your thoughts on this is there are certain points in our lives, I think, when we are tapped into that empathy and that, you know, we're willing to do the work but we're surrounded by loved ones maybe that aren't willing to do the work. And then how do we kind of maybe, you know, go, it's not my fight to fight. It's not my, you know, I mean, do do you understand what I mean by that? Where, I mean, and it can carry you down. Well, yeah, that that's the problem. And that's why I was mentioning that the rites of passage happen out in nature, Mm. that people have to have, access to places that are not determined by the beliefs of a particular system or yeah. by the style of a particular family. 
Mm. You know, Irish myths are interesting. Um, and one of the ideas they have is that a person is only one third uh, determined by their parents. Um, mm. like, like now they talk about DNA as determining everything, but obviously they're missing some stuff yeah. like, the, yeah. like, the, like the soul. But anyway, so the, but the Irish said that each child that's born is one third the combination of energies of the parents one third an ancestor trying to come back into life and one third mm. a spirit that's never been born before. Wow. And so, so, so we, in, we live inside mm. traps. The yeah. nuclear family, <laughs> the nuclear family is a, clearly is a historical, you know, uh, tragedy <laughs> because, you know, people are trying to make a whole system of growing out of, you know, two people who still trying to figure out who they are and children who are going, what the hell is this about? And, and people <laughs> yeah. used to have other avenues. And so, you know, the extended family meant that you could always leave mom and dad and go to uncle so-and-so or aunt yeah. uncle, who had the same kind of psychic interest that you did. You, you would find the, the yeah. uncles and the aunts and the people in the village who were like you. And who yeah. got you when everybody else didn't get you. It wasn't dependent on the structure of the family or the belief system. Um, and all of the arts were always aimed outside of normality, outside of objectivity. And so the, you know, painting wasn't intended for the gallery. I mean, thank God there's galleries mm -hmm. and museums and yeah. people get to paint. But mm -hmm. all artists were in service of the divine. Or as some people say, of the unseen. The thing that may, is made from art is something that was never seen or heard before. That's, that's what's trying to come through. And so that yeah. got captured too. And that becomes part of the industrial complex. And uh, so, <sighs> so we lose the ways that yeah. we can step out of the family and be a very different person and not have to fight it out all the time with the family. There would be an understanding. Yeah. Of, yeah, you're kind of one of us, and then you know you're your own person. Yeah. Wow. So it's it's just harder now. That's that's incredible, and and to have that realization through your mythology or through your origin story is such a what a great thing to have as a child. To go, I'm not all yeah. these these two wing nuts, you know. I'm only a third. I'm only a third. You're only, only going to get a third of me. Sorry, sorry. I'm only got, taking a third of the trash out. I got other places to get in trouble. <laughs> so can I ask you more about like, I've, you know, Mike and I, our friendship really cemented over mystical experiences that we had kind of like what you had different yeah. circumstances, obviously, but I want to hear a little bit more about how you process like Achilles visiting you and like, um, I'm either going to lose like, my where mind did you or find go, it. Yeah, where did you go? Where were the next steps right from there? I'm, I'm assuming you were still in solitary. Yeah. Like, so one thing was, first of all, realizing I wasn't alone when I was alone. Yes. You know, no, no one told me that that could be the case, but I experienced it. So I had to hold on to that. Um, yeah. So, and, and I wasn't in, in prison for like a, uh, a robbery or something. Uh, it, it was because I refused to go to Vietnam and, yeah. and, and things got really complicated really fast. Anyway, I wound up in, in this prison. And so, so I was the enemy in the prison. And so I had a, I really had to find something that could not be 
defeated or be destroyed by the circumstances I was in. And my family, just to talk about family again, mm. my family thought I should be going right off to war. My mother actually said, yeah. our, our sons always go to war. I said, Mom, mm-hmm. that's a little bit general. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, our son, I, this is me. Oh, okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those guys that you're talking about. Exactly. So, so then <laughs> what, I, what I learned about stories, and maybe I learned it in there, I don't know, uh, was each part of the story is revealing knowledge if I can just pay attention to it. So mm-hmm. since I was anti the war, I didn't understand them, but I was also anti-exaggerated heroics. Mm. So Achilles is the main warrior hero of Greek myth. He, it, you mm. cannot defeat Achilles. The reason yeah. being, his mother wanted such a powerful child that she dipped him in some elixir that made him so he couldn't be wounded. You know, Except for the heel she was holding on she to. Was, she had to hold him somewhere. And <laughs> That's she right. At the Achilles heel. So, Achilles, so, so he visits me, and he's like in the cell, and I'm going, what can I get out of this? And I realized, what, what can I get out of this is not everybody's a hero, and not everybody's supposed to go into battle and prove this, how, how tough they are. And even oh. Achilles has this <sighs> wound. Yeah. Yeah. Our power went. So, are you okay? Well, what happened? There was a momentary loss of power, as I was (laughs) saying. Even Achilles has his move. The, the lights flickered and the power went out. He's like we back. Touched, <laughs> we touched the wound. We touched the wound of the warrior, you know. And, and oh uh, so each, each, it's like each character that came in, I, I could sit there and go, I remember what this is about. Maybe what can I learn? What can I learn from this? Um, and Ulysses was actually uh, like a main visitor and 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 mm-hmm. ulysses you know who's the the hero of the odyssey but yeah. ulysses a few refused to go to the trojan war yeah so right. so so and yeah. and and ulysses was or odysseus was uh, called uh, double-minded or many-minded and the idea of ulysses is he could have more than one idea more than one theory in his mind at the same time, which is what's missing in the modern world, right? Absolutely. This is it. This is it. And so so I was getting like instruction from characters in the stories. But the next part is where it got really problematic, which is when I came back, um, no one understood what was what I did. <laughs> how I did it, why I did it, including yeah. me. I did, you know, I, I, I was wow. so much did not fit back in the culture mm. that it took me a long time to figure out how do I get back in? You know, where do I fit? Uh, it was, <laughs> it was really shocking. Did you go directly like home? Mystics without borders, right? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't realize yeah. there you go. that's who yeah. you were. <laughs> did you go directly back home or did you feel like yeah. I need to go on a little journey here first? Well, I, I went home and realized I couldn't stay there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't be in the neighborhood as a matter of fact, people didn't understand what I did. And so I was getting challenged all the time and in, in ways that, that weren't even healthy. And so I realized I have to get out of here, that this is over now. I can't live here. Something had happened that was so dramatic and altered my psyche so much that I couldn't live there. Um, and so I wound up going, 
traveling around the United States, winding up on, on the West Coast. But but it's interesting because that fits back into rite of passage stuff in the sense yeah. that yeah. now in a healthy traditional situation, the whole village would be waiting for the girl or the boy to come yeah. back. But yeah. they'd be waiting for them to come back as a new person. Yeah. And there would be rituals mm-hmm. in, in which they might have a different name so that everybody would have yeah. to understand they're not the same person. And we're always yeah. going back to people that think we're the same. <laughs> and yet all meaningful life experiences turn us into a different person if it would be allowed to be. So that's how I started to study initiation and rites of passage. I was going, there has to be some way to understand this because I don't fit into the culture anymore. Everybody who knows me doesn't know me. I don't even know me. And so it was in trying to figure that out, you know, because I understood this can't be the first time this happened. That's how I found, that's how I find the the ideas of initiation and rites of passage. Uh, Because you don't have to wind up in the rite of passage because you chose it. No. Yeah, that's right. Most of us can be chosen against your will. Yeah. Uh, and then what you have to do is choose how you find yourself in a place you didn't intend to be. And so that became the struggle of my own life to become who I was turning out to be with very, originally with very little support because where I grew up, first of all, no one knew what therapy was, but when, when they heard yeah. about it, they said, well, you can't go to get help because that, that makes you a crazy person. Right. <laughs> so you're, right. you're crazy if you go there, you know, and I was going, well, everybody here is crazy already. So, you know, but anyway, <laughs> so therapy wasn't an option where I came from. Yeah. And so I had to go back into stories. But did I you ever was, find a mentor to help yeah. you? I mean, it's remarkable. Uh, yeah. How did that, cause I'm thinking, wow, you did all this by yourself. Like, well, I had a lot of mentors. Yeah. Okay. Here's a, here's a weird one. I can't get back into the community and the culture because I'm essentially at that point, a white kid that did the wrong thing. White culture yeah. is unforgiving. That's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get back. Yeah. I was now bad. I had done the wrong thing. I was a traitor. I was all kinds. I was a coward. I was all kinds of things without anybody asking me what, what I was going through. I call that white culture. Um, where I got back in was through African-American culture. Mm. And what I learned on African-American culture, which goes back to African culture, is like on the corner. That's the way I learned it. People say, well, on the corner, you can always come back. And the idea was Mm. there's always a place in the community for you to get back in because everybody knows how easily you can get lost, how easily you get rejected, and how easily you can wind up in prison or whatever. So I found my acceptance in the African-American community, which then had this other layer of revelation because I then encountered African people who for some reason thought I was a drummer. So I got (laughs) got drafted, yeah. You're yeah. like, I'm not a drummer. And they're like, yes, you are. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You may uh, not know it. I, I, so I wanted to learn about myth and culture and music is one way to do it. So I was studying music of different cultures when I happened to get connected to actual African people who are living in the United States. But they were a particular group of drummers who played the traditional music, which is the transcendent music. Yeah. 
And, and at a certain event, they were short a drummer, or I don't know, maybe they were looking for a short drummer. I'm not sure. But anyway, <laughs> they identified me as the person that they needed. And I was experimenting with drumming, so I could keep a beat. But anything, the next thing I'm in playing with an African, a genuine traditional African band playing ritual music. Oh, my God. That's yeah. great. That's yeah, so I was getting drums. I was getting this amazing mentoring from an ancient culture and from people who were keeping parts of the culture alive, yeah. who, who somehow thought I was part of it. They, they actually did. And so that there was a whole series of uh, mentors in, uh, in terms of uh, creative fields. Wow. And, yes. and, that, and, and that included poets who were mentors. And, and uh, really, it's a whole long story of meeting people who, and, and so I, I have also this experience of what I call mentoring moments. So some people mentored me in a moment. You know, yeah. it wasn't that we worked for, together for years. Some people I did work together with for years. But for some people, it was just a moment where someone gave me something that turned out to be really meaningful and, and that I still carry. So uh, mentoring happens, but it's different than yeah. I think how it's been presented. It can be very momentary. I, I consider those additional moments of grace, just little things, yeah. God or the universe or whatever gives you ancestors to just go here. This is going to help you along this road. Here's a breadcrumb. Yeah. You, yeah. said, you said something extremely interesting too, just a, a little bit way back where it's that, you know, it's where you find yourself when you're in a position of that transformation and change where you go, I don't even know who I am right now. And when you're, you know, you couldn't re-enter your culture, you didn't even know who you were to re-enter. And I think that that, it's such an understated uh, vulnerability that you're, that you're talking about right there, where you go like, I recognize I'm not who I was. And, yeah. and, and you have to pay attention to that and acknowledge that that's such a massive moment that I think so many people overlook. Or don't even know it. It's right there in front of you and acknowledging with vulnerability that I'm not sure who I am anymore. That's yeah. a huge moment. It's an easy it, thing to run from. Right. With drugs or alcohol or whatever, like or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. It's COVID, easy thing to COVID, breast cancer. Yep. Loved one dies. It's happening to people all the time, but people are defended against the vulnerability. And the, the vulnerability that people may be most offended against is self, self-identification. Yep. Uh, yeah. Because you have, you know, you just think of anybody who goes through any serious loss, which is now, you know, has to be talked about because of COVID, because of the loss of habitations in nature and all kinds of things that we're being forced to look at that. And so one of the biggest moments of change is the moment where I say, I don't know. Yes. I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't know where I belong. I don't, you know, and that I don't know is the only step that leads to knowing. You can't know what you don't know unless you know what you don't know and accept that with vulnerability. Yeah. That's, that's oh. the collective rite of passage. That's it right there. It's like creating the vacuum. You know, yeah. when you said uh, yoga oh, came that. in, it's like there's this vacuum. So if we can like willingly by saying I don't know, then create because that's that's when my mystical experience happened to me. I was at the bottom and I reached out and I was like, I can't do it anymore. I have nothing. 
I basically said, I don't know. I failed. The, the truck is in the ditch again. And then the vacuum was creating and then what created and then it was filled. Yeah. But if we could, if we could do it intentionally, like create that vacuum, put your ego down, put it aside, go, I don't know, uh-huh. you know? And then there's an opportunity there. Well, yeah. And you know, what's interesting too, is when you say, I don't know, and mean it wholeheartedly for the first time, and then you're waiting for the world to to crumble when you go, oh, wait, I can admit, I don't know. And the world's not going to end. Oh my God. Like, it's not that like, and that's such a freeing, like, wow, it's going to be okay. And that's, you know, I mean, from there, that's when the equations almost start to come into play and go like, I could feel safe being myself. I could feel okay around others, even if I don't agree with them. I can be okay accepting things that I don't understand. And and that's when it all starts to really kind of make sense that sometimes feeling not right, like you said, like not being, you know, being going to therapy isn't accepted. You're crazy. Yeah, we're all crazy. Like realizing yeah. we all have those dents. Yeah. Then you go, then it's like, oh. All right. Well, what the hell are we doing here, guys? Like, come yeah. on. Well, what's crazy is going, I know. Well, if I know, how come I haven't fixed everything? Yeah, there's a lot in of people, the world. There's a lot much of people less, need you. Yeah, you know. I mean, even just my own life, much less the rest of the world. It's like, how crazy are we deluded? To, how crazy are we to think we do know? Well, Why would you, it be so hard to admit that you don't? Right. It's just obvious. Well, that's because everybody's <laughs> yeah. dependent on everybody's dependent on the ego self, right? Yeah. So, so in my lost condition, still a young guy, stumbling around, you know, not knowing, really not knowing, and, and having some sense that I don't know. This could turn turn to any direction, you know, you know whatsoever. Yeah. Um, that's when I started to realize that um, if I can hold that vulnerability a little something is going to show up yeah. Um, yeah. and and then you can't completely count on that because that's cheating. You actually have to stay in not knowing. And then it turns out that we're secretly connected to things we didn't know about. Honestly, I, yeah. I did, I did not know that I should play drums. And, and just to yeah. be clear, I still don't yeah. play drums. Well, you play very I, well. I, you play very well. I've watched you play with John Densmore on a video, and it was pretty kick-ass, man. You so that. yeah, I, I can I can actually hang with real drummers. I mean, drummers <laughs> that will make your feet move, and no matter what you think you are, involuntarily, <laughs> involuntarily, yeah. yeah. But, but I played with some African drummers when I was young, and, and I've seen uh, you play too, and you were doing good. But the thing about it is, it, it opened this area that I didn't feel um, I was qualified for or invited to. And I did get invited to it. And, and I had to have, have to recognize a whole other me. I mean, there's people yeah. that just, people just knew me as a drummer, you know, didn't know that I was telling stories and working on stories, didn't know, you yeah. know, how I was wounded and all this other stuff. But mm-hmm. that's what I think. I agree with you. If we can just step away from that ego position, it's the ego that, has to know right you know yeah so then you have i call the ego the little self yes there's the deeper self that actually knows you know and the only way we access the deeper knowledge is for little self to go okay you know yeah i I know that i claim to know but i don't know so is that the purpose of the wound in the grand scheme is to like just put the 
ego <laughs> down? Well, not just down, right? <laughs> so, so you can't get rid of the ego. I mean, yeah. When yoga and everything came in from the East, some of the interpretation was, I'm going to meditate and get rid of the ego. Well, I don't yeah. agree with that, even as an interpretation. Mm. Uh, yeah. Because when I've spoken to people like that, I'll say, well, listen, if you get rid of the ego, who's going to drive the car? Uh, who's going to brush your teeth? <laughs> or, or by the way, the ego has the key to the ashram. So, <laughs> so the idea is to loosen the ego. Because right. you still need an ego. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're going to yeah. run into people that you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to go there. You're going yeah. to yeah. you're gonna have to say, look, you know, no harm yeah. intended, but I'm telling you, dude, you can't go any further. You're going to have to, yeah. like, ego up a little bit sometimes. Yeah. So it's loosening the ego, how I imagine it. And in that loosening, that deeper self, that deeper imagination, that kind of way in which we're a vehicle, mm. that becomes more possible. And all of a sudden... Things are coming through us that we don't know until they're going through. Mm. I mean, you talk about the podcast and I'm looking at Corin who goes through with me every week. And that's what I'm doing. I'll get to a certain point. I go, I don't know. I literally, I'll say, I don't know. I don't know the next word. I don't know the next sentence. And, and I'm like caught and I'm going, holy crap, why am I even doing this? And then a phrase will come in like, where did it come from? And then yeah. here we go again. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's so, it's so incredible that, uh, you know, because I've heard you mention like the little, the little self, and and I was talking with a, I had an, a very uh, ego, um, I don't want to say dissolve, ego fighting experience recently, and uh, where my ego was kind of sent away for a, a little while, and I came back from it, and I spoke with my therapist, and she said, you know, we never get rid of that critic. I call him the critic, and uh, she said why not put him to work helping you know he's clearly got a good work ethic he's just been working on the wrong stuff and i said you know what i go i need to use him as my editor like when i'm writing he's my he's now my editor it's not he's not the owner of the publishing company he's just an editor that works hourly and he punches in and punches right. out when i and it was kind of neat to to think like yeah i can assign him a job he's not he's not the landlord yeah. You know, it's so interesting to think about this too. And like an analogous, it's not a, it's, this is hilarious that I'm going to say this talking to the, to you, who is the, you know, conduit to ancient stories. Are you familiar with the movie back to the future? Yeah. Okay. So Otil, you know it, right? Back to the future with Michael J. Fox. So I think about the ego lately as Biff from the first back to the future in the beginning, he's this scary bully that's pushing everybody around and no one challenges him. And if he's in the picture, everyone's kind of like, Oh no, Biff is here. And then, you know, uh, Marty takes that journey in the DeLorean and kind of goes back to the root of it all. Right. Takes that trip. And once he does the work and works on some of that generational stuff, he comes back and Biff is just this kind of silly pushover guy that's waxing the car and he's now works for the McFly family. And he's going like, here's your keys, Marty. And it's just so interesting to think of a visual thing from my childhood of like Biff was the bully. Then yeah. the work was done. And now he's just works for the family. And you can, <laughs> you know, it, it, to me, that was kind of an interesting visual. No, that's great. That's great. Very Jungian. Very Jungian. <laughs> Jungian would say that's the integration of the shadow. With, with, with yeah. a lot more humor than it usually occurs with. It's not <laughs> at work. 
because we all stories picture this. work. Movie stories work. Well, we all get... picture this person, this scary all in like when the ego appears, it's like, oh shit, I'm in trouble. What did yeah. I do that I forgot that I did? Or what didn't I do? Or who did I hurt? Yeah. Or how can I, you know? So it's it's you know holding on to that. I think I don't know is the is the the key words to 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 disarm that little self. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it actually diminishes the shadow. They call it also the shadow, uh, the part of ourselves that we're afraid of, and we repress it, and then it takes over one day, and we're really in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, when the, people say the devil made me do it. The, the psychological term is the shadow and everybody has their shadow. And, uh, and so, yeah, eventually it becomes not such a defining or defeating part of oneself, but, but that's hard work. Yeah. And that includes, yeah. I don't know. And even facing up to a part of myself that I don't understand why it's there. Oh man, so beautiful! And you know, it's yeah. funny you did. You, you were in the jail cell, and you said, "What can I learn?" Which is another way of saying, "I don't know everything." If you say, "What can I learn?" That means I don't know all of it, right? Well, There's truth still be told, and to I learn. was desperate. I was desperate. I thought, yeah. maybe it's better that I die. Maybe that's it. Because I have to say, also, I stopped eating food. I went on a hunger strike. Wow. Uh, it, it just came into my mind, and later on, I had to figure out where did that come from. And then I real I found out later it comes from my Irish heritage. In Ireland, if you can't defeat uh, a powerful an authority and you think it's wrongful, you fast against it. And so it was yeah. like another message coming from wow. ancestral places. And yeah. so, and at one point I was more than one point I was close to death. And and then yeah. I was in a battle. You know, do yeah. I want to live? Do I want to die? Because this is extremely isolating and painful. And I'm going through all the layers of rejection I ever felt and so on. And then those characters from the stories were what gave me the sense of, no, I want to live this story out. I want to see where it goes. Yeah. I want to, you know, so wow. I just want to be clear before I got to accepting that I was actually desperate and wasn't sure yeah. that I even wanted to live. Wow. I was desperate. I wasn't close to death, but I was desperate too. And I find a lot of people have these mystical experiences, religious experiences, whatever, anomalous experiences in these extreme times. I don't know why it gives you more clarity, even the fasting, you know, but exhaustion. I think, yeah, the fact that you realized that we're not alone, that's the big, that's the big one. And I and hope that's what everybody takes from this. Yeah. And there's more there than the little self. There's more. Yeah. There. And it's waiting to hmm, become conscious and become known. Yeah. And that was the purpose of culture originally, it, it, in a sense. It was, yeah, survival of the species. And the next yeah. thing was waking up of the species, you know, and having people like be brilliant or be uh, able to heal or able to make music, or able to make beauty. That was what it was about. Culture means to cultivate. And you yes. cultivate what's already there. And yeah. everybody has some there, there. But we have to go there to find out what's there. And that's... Yes, uh, and that help each out. other find yeah. what's there, too. Yeah, possible. Well, are there I'm, are there resources out there, or like a list, or some bibliography of where 
folks who are listening that want to read more of the rite of passage stories or you know um myth mythology from all over the world do you recommend or have anywhere that they can look so a lot of the rites of passage stuff is anthropological and it's re pretty dry reading and it needs interpretation and sometimes it's mishandled because it was like 19th century uh white uh, anthropologists handling cultures that weren't related to their own there's all kinds of troubles with that uh yeah that was so, an in, some, that was given to an intern basically <laughs> well just looking so, at things through an academic lens you yeah, know you can't I know. Yeah. yeah i so, read it I, so <laughs> since i can't think of anything else a couple of things that i wrote so I, I i wrote a book called fate and destiny the two agreements of the soul and in there i tell the story of being in prison but then i use stories from all around the world to to show how different things work and how everybody has fate. Fate means that which limits you and you can't do much about it. Destiny means that that's what you're called to do with your life. And so the whole book is the tension between mm. what limits us and, and what we're called to do that's a bigger, more meaningful thing. And then yeah. since we were touching on the big picture of the world, I wrote a book called Why the World Doesn't End. And, and yeah, that's a collection of stories from different cultures about how the end turns out to be the beginning of the next cycle. And so those are two things that use mythology and use, um, uh, you know, different cultural imaginations. And then there is some bibliography in those. Okay. Where people can go and look for things that go, that go deeper. Excellent. Yeah. So that's a thought. Man. I mean, I'm kind of in awe of you. Like, I, I might try this myself. That you, I notice you stand when you do your podcast. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but it like also that. makes me want to go. We should probably let you go because you've been standing for like an hour and twenty yeah. minutes. <laughs> Strangely, when it's a good conversation, I don't notice. <laughs> well, it started uh, out because I would stand on stage. I'd either uh, be yeah, drumming right. or or standing, and so then when we started to do podcasts, I thought, well. I'm used to standing and, and, and I might have a better chance of receiving something <laughs> that's trying to get through if I'm standing up. So that's great. So it's, it's like a stand up mythologist. Stand up mythologist. That's fantastic. <laughs> yes. That's, that's how I, we're going to intro you. God. It, it, we, it, it, we would be honored if you'd ever, if you'd like to come back, we would love to, yeah. to have you again. Yeah. Um, you, you're, you are a beacon of light. And and it has yeah. been an absolute uh, honor having you here, and and just thank you so much for everything you do with uh, the way that you translate these stories into what's going on today is really like it's medicine, and and personally and for us, and it's just absolutely an honor. Well, thank you both. It's great being with you, and I'd certainly do it again. Beautiful. It's a great yeah. conversation. Awesome. Oh, we'd love to have you great back because we. Here. We, we didn't could even go scratch for the surface, man. Yeah, many hours, <laughs> but yeah. Bless you and thank you for being on our podcast. All right. Happy to be with you. Be yeah. well. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. You too, sir. Okay. Bye then. Osiris. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.